Thank you, Marilyn. Good morning. This is uh, a whole lot better doing this in front of a few extra people than we had been doing it uh, recently. I want to thank um, the, the, those of you that came this morning to help us do the trial run and uh, St. Louis Crossing Church family. Um, we hope that this is working, and so uh, this is a trial run for us. And um, I'm going to pray one more time. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to find the book of Esther. It's back there around Ezra, Nehemiah. If you get to Job, you've went too far. If you're at Psalms, you're a couple books too far. So the book of Esther, it's in our series of the biblical portraits that we're doing on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And this morning, we're going to look at the life of Esther. Let's pray one more time. Father, how majestic is your name was the call to worship. As we've listened to the meditation, I've asked that you uh, would still our hearts as we are opening your word. I'm asking, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Um, we are grateful for this moment. We are thankful that we're on the eve of returning to public worship in our little part of the kingdom. Lord, there is nothing more important on this Lord's day than for your people to be worshiping. Our nation needs the pulpits open in preaching. Our people need their hearts pricked with the power of the Holy Spirit. Our lives need to be changed because of Jesus. So, Father, as frail as I am, as inadequate as I am, as inept as I am to preach, I pray that you show up in this place and we hear from you. If you so choose to use me this morning, may it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Esther, I want you to turn to uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at, we can't read the whole 10 chapters, the 167 verses, whatever there are in the book of Esther. But we will look at verse 13 through 17 in chapter 4. Hear the reading of God's word. Then Mordecai came to them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that you're in a king's palace. You will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's probably the most famous verse in Esther. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, nights, and day. I and my young women will also fast. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Thus adds the reading of God's word. We believe that the word of God stands forever. This is a story. It's an amazing story. And this morning it helps us because if you are in a place where you feel life is out of control, 
Or maybe you wonder, is what is the world coming to? Uh, maybe you're troubled about situations in your life. Maybe you this morning, whether you're still in the comfort of your living room or you're listening later at another time, you're just wondering where God is. Maybe you're fretting over the outcome of plans that you have or your job or your health. It may appear that you think the bad guys always win. You may think that you're helpless, that your life doesn't have meaning or purpose. If you have ever thought one of those things, then the book of Esther is for you. I was telling someone this morning, I read an article very early this morning that says 1968 and 2020 is almost exactly alike. Some of us were born in 1968. Some of us were not. Um, but, but all the things that seem to be happening, uprest and pandemics and presidential elections and the nation seemed to be tugged. These things where it just seems like life is out of control and people were frustrated. This is the time in which we live. And so I think the book of Esther and the character of Esther speaks to us this morning. Let me identify a few characters in this book King Asheris or King Arxerxes, or I'm just going to call the king because that's about as close as I'm going to get. He's a primary character. There's Queen Vashti, the first king that we will, or queen that we'll read about. There's a man called Mordecai, a man called Haman. There's a woman called Esther. And then there's one other character in this story, God. So let's just quickly review the characters. The king the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 1, that his kingdom reigned from India to Ethiopia over over 127 provinces. He was the most powerful, the most wealthiest, the greatest person to ever live at this time. He had a queen. The Bible says, if you read the book of Esther, that she was beautiful. She was a looker. She was, a for him, a trophy wife. And I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but in, this is what happens in this story. The, queen, the king is having a great party for all of his leaders of the kingdom. They're there for 180 days, and he gets drunk and says, hey, well, let me show you how great and mighty and wealthy I am and how powerful I am. And by the, by the way, let me display to you my wife. We'll come to that in just another minute. There's a power-hungry, narcissistic, do-anything-to-get-ahead, consumed-with-himself man by the name of Haman. There's a good guy in the story called Mordecai. He's a Jewish man who had been in exile and did not return to Jerusalem, but he remained in the leadership of this country, and he adopts his cousin's daughter. Her name is Edessa, or we know her as Esther. She's the other character in this book. She's amazingly beautiful. She replaces Queen Vashti after winning a beauty contest. And she lays it all on the line to save her people. Now, she's not like Daniel. She is not completely faithful to her Jewish faith. She actually hides the fact that she's a follower of Yahweh. She's imperfect. But this story is going to teach us that God uses imperfect people in his plan. And finally, there's one other character. And I would suggest to you, it's the main character of the story. It's God. God is never mentioned in this book. I believe it's 190 times the king is mentioned, but 
God is never mentioned one time in this book. It's one of the most interesting facts about this book. There's been much written and discussed about the fact that God is not mentioned in this canonical book. But one person said this, and I think it's the greatest, one of the greatest takeaways from this morning's message. It says that although God's name is not anywhere to be found in the book of Esther, the truth is there's not one place where God isn't. And so, dear brothers and sisters, here's the huge takeaway for us today, right at the beginning. It may appear to you of everything in your life, just look at your life, look at the world, turn on TV, pull out your phone, pull up the most, social, the most recent social media uh, streams and, and, and stream, uh, lines and threads, and what you will find is it doesn't look like God is anywhere in the midst of anything going on. And I'm going to tell you this morning that the great news for St. Louis Crossing Church, the great news for America, the great news for the world is that God's everywhere in the midst of this. He is everywhere. There's not one place in your life this morning where God is not. Not one. Not one. Let me give you an overview of this plot. And I, I know that I'm going to be tough in trying to explain this, and I may miss a few details, but let me try to give you the high view of what's going on in these ten chapters. There's a king. He wants to display, as I've said, his great wealth and power, the tremendous, uh, enormous size of his kingdom. He holds a massive 180-day party. In the midst of this, he wants to go get his wife and to show her off and parade her in front of his friends. Queen Vashti says in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, here's what it says. He says, bring Queen Vashti before the king in her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command and delivered by the eunuchs. And at this time, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. He told his wife to do something and she didn't want to do it. And she, was, she shouldn't have done it. She knew that she was being used. So he became so angry that he cast the, the queen away. She's just fortunate that he did not execute her, but he took her reign away. The king's advisors come up with a good plan. They tell him, why don't we just have a beauty pageant to replace the king, the queen? Enter a man named Mordecai. He had adopted his cousin's daughter. Now, that means that she was an immigrant and she was an, an adopted girl. Her name was Adassa or Myrtle, which means loving Fragrance. Her Persian name was Esther or Star. She gets to the first round and goes to a guy by the name of Haggai who's taking care of this beauty contest. And then they take the final candidates and they go for a year-long beauty process in order to go meet the king. Now, ladies, that's a year-long spa day. Now, just imagine that. So we find in chapter 2, her day comes to go in before the, queen, the king. So chapter 2, verse 16, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. It says, When Esther was taken to the king in his royal palace, it was the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Verse 17, 
The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Vashti. The king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Esther becomes queen. As Esther becomes queen, Mordecai, her adopted father, notices a plot to kill the king. He tells the queen about it. She mentions it to the, queen, the king. He says, that's great, saves the king. And in chapter 2, it's interesting. We're going to come to this. It says in the last verse of chapter 2, it just says this, and in the book of the Chronicles, it was recorded. That's it. That's what he got. That's the thanks he gets for saving the king. Enter Haman, one of the king's main men. He's consumed with himself, demanding people to bow down. But there's one who does not bow down to him. You guessed it. His name's Mordecai. Haman was so angry that he didn't just want to kill Mordecai for not bowing down to him. He wanted to kill everybody Mordecai was related to, which means all the Jewish people in the kingdom. So there was a plot to eliminate or annihilate all the Jewish people. We see that happening over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, Satan understands God's plan. And he's doing everything he can at this point to stop the coming Messiah. And today he's doing everything he can to stop the people of God. Do you guys get that? Do you really get that? Because that's been impressed on me more and more over the last 10 or 12 weeks than anything in the world. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a target on your head. And he wants to do everything he can to destroy us. But there's good news. When Mordecai hears this, he begins to tear his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes, which was the custom of the day of people grieving. And some of Esther's women, uh, the, the, her attendants said, hey, I think Mordecai's down at the gate and he, he's sad. He's, he's mourning. He's got sackcloth and ashes on him. And so in chapter four, where our text comes from, we see that Esther goes and asks Mordecai, what's going on? And Mordecai says, Queen Haman's going to kill all the Jewish people, and I'm going to be killed. And oh, by the way, you're going to be killed. And so Mordecai reminds Esther in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from, for the Jews from another place. But for you and your father's house, you will perish and who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. And he, she tells him to go and fast. Esther knew she had to go in front of the king. She knew that she had to go stop this. So she does. She risks it all. And when she goes in front of the king, she knew that she could die. But the king loved, I think, or appreciated her. She had found favor with the king, and so he extends the golden scepter, and 
He says, you can have half, uh, everything you want up to half the kingdom. What is it you want? And she's very diplomatic. She says, I just want to have dinner with you and Haman, her enemy. So he says, fine. So they go and have this dinner and Haman thinks, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm important. The king and queen want me to come to their house for dinner. And after that night, she invites him back for a second dinner. And it's there on that night that the king can't sleep. The king can't sleep. And in chapter 6, what happens is, I'm sorry, in chapter, yeah, chapter 6, the king can't sleep. And so he does what everybody does who can't sleep. He gets up or he doesn't have a TV. He, he begins to go ask for a book. He starts reading the Chronicles. He has the, his, his kingdom's record read to him. And he discovers there was a man who saved his life named Mordecai. And, and the king says, what do we do for Mordecai? And they said, nothing. And so the next morning after he couldn't sleep in chapter 6, he says, he says, who's out there? And they said, there's a guy out in the court named Haman. He said, let him come in. Now, this is this narcissistic guy. And look at, with, look at this with me. And this all sets up for the points that we're going to make at the very end. Look, at me with, uh, look with me at verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? See, he's focusing on himself. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king was worn, and the, and the horse that the king has ridden, on whose head a royal crown is set. Let the robes and the horses be handed over to the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man who the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse throughout the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights in honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Now, can you imagine what Haman's thinking now? The one man in this whole kingdom that he despises, he's going to have to honor. Well, before the second dinner, Haman has a gallow, a place to, be, to hang folks, built at 75 feet high in his backyard. So the next night, they go to the, the, the dinner, the second dinner with the queen. And it's in the midst of that dinner that the queen says to her king, Hey, I just want you to know that my people are going to be annihilated. And the king said, What are you talking about? And she says, There's this order to destroy all the Jews of your kingdom. And I'm a Jew. And up to that point, she had hidden this fact. And the king said, who would make such an order? And she looks at the dinner table and says, that guy right there, Haman. Haman loses it. The king is outraged. The Bible says he's so furious he goes out into the garden to cool off. And when he returns, Haman is laying at the feet of Esther, begging, begging for her to save his life. He, the king, says, why would you despise and defile my queen? And he says, Haman, you 
are going to be executed. And guess what? There's a few gallows. There's one gallow about 70 feet, 75 feet high in his backyard. And so the irony is Haman is executed in the very place he wanted to destroy Mordecai. Now, all of you are looking at me like I've just tried to give an overview of a bad Netflix movie. But I want to get to the sermon. There is a powerful story here. And there was no way I knew I could talk about 10 chapters. But I do want to give you three takeaways before we end the message. And I want us to think through these. First, when things look out of control, when things look out of control, remember, God is always in control. Esther clearly reminds us of the perfect sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over all of his people. He's in control over all the world. He is in charge of his creation. And God is even sovereign over his enemies. I've been thinking about this message now for a couple of weeks. And I would say to, that the, I would believe the number one problem we are having in this land, and I would say in our church, in our churches and in the pulpits of America and across the world is we just really don't want a God who's sovereign. We have trouble believing God is in control of everything. But when you realize there's a sovereign God in control of everything, the message is that God is always there. Even when times it seems like there is God is nowhere in the midst of the situation. It's as bad as it can be. There was nothing worse for Esther than her whole people going to be destroyed. Every Jewish person in this kingdom was going to be wiped out and annihilated. And it didn't look like God was in it. God was, God's not even mentioned in the book. But the story is all about God is there. God has a plan that's sovereignly being carried out in this book, and he has a perfect plan that's being carried out in our world, and he has a perfect plan that's being carried out in your life right now. I want to make a quick aside. The most powerful place in the world is not the United Nations. It's not a throne in a distant land. It's not a large country in the Far East. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you that the seat of power isn't in Washington. The seat of power this morning is the throne of our omnipotent God. He's sitting there reigning and ruling this morning. And when we realize that power comes from an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, and he's intimately involved in our lives, we realize that our lives matter. Do you get what I just said? I hope I signaled pretty well. When you understand 
that the person who has the power and control of your life and of everything in this world, and I wish everybody in the world would hear this, when you understand he's intimately involved in every life on the planet, including yours, then all life has meaning and purpose. The real significance of Esther was not that she became a queen. The real significance of Esther was she was in God's place at God's time doing God's will. She was where God wanted her, doing what God wanted on God's time. And that's what we all should be striving for. If you're searching for meaning and purpose in life, it doesn't come from our jobs or our education or our prestige or anything else. It doesn't come from all the things that we chase. It comes from being in God's will, in God's place, at God's time, doing what God wants for our life. You may never get on the front page of any publication. You may never have much riches. You may never be interviewed on a podcast. You may never be on TV. But there is one thing that I hope you know, that when the sovereign God has control over your life and he's in control, your life matters. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're caught up in the purposes of God. The very first thing Esther teaches us is that God is sovereign. And when things look out of control, don't buy that lie. God's in complete control. Number two, we're tempted to think that God's removed from the situation. When it looks the most despairing, Esther teaches us that God's timing is perfect. God's sovereignty is perfect and God's timing is perfect. God's perfect timing in every detail. So what are you worrying about this morning? I really would like to hand you a piece of paper and have you write it down. All the things I'm worried about this morning. All the things that could go wrong. All the things that is going, are going wrong. Uh, where I am going to be in five years or ten years or the, my 50-year my plan or whatever it is. Your job, your family, your health. And I just want to say to you, that what you're going to find out is not only is God's sovereignty perfect, his timetable is perfect. David Platt, pastor, teacher, does a great job. He says, Esther reminds us, the world would say it just so happened. Let me go through the story real quick. Get this. It just so happened that there was a king who had a party, and he just so happened to tell his queen to come parade herself in front of him it just so happens that she told him to take a hike. It just so happens that there was an immigrant orphan girl who lived in the kingdom with her cousin, who just so happened to adopt her, who just so happened to have a king's favor, who just so happened to be connected with the guy who revealed to him that there was just so happened a plot that's going to kill the king. That just so happened to be recorded into the chronicles of the king. That just so happened that there was a man named Haman who wanted to kill all the Jews which just so happened that Esther was in a beauty pageant and just so happened to win it. It just so happened after a year of preparation, she was taken into the king and it just so happened the king loved her. It just so happened that all this was because of Mordecai. It just so happened that in between two dinners that were taking place where, where Esther was making this plan, it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep. It just so happened that the king said, go get a book. 
It just so happened that the book that was, got, that was retrieved was the Chronicles of his kingdom. It just so happened that the guy reading the Chronicles of the king just so happened to read the story of Mordecai who was telling the plot to save the king. It just so happened that the king said, huh, did I do anything about that? It just so happened he hadn't. It just so happened that he said, why don't we honor Mordecai? It just so happened that he told the guy to honor him was the guy who hated him. Are you getting this yet? It just so happened that Esther invites Haman to dinner. It just so happens that when the king says, what do you want? She says, save my people. It just so happens that the king said, who said that? It's just so happened that Esther said it was Haman. It's just so happened that the king executes the person who was trying to stop the Jewish people in the line of the Messiah. It just so happened. No, it didn't just so happen. Are you with me? Are you with me? It, 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 it wasn't happenstance. You guys, you guys with me? It wasn't happenstance. Everything was for a purpose. The timetable was perfect. So you didn't get the job you thought you were going to get. Okay. That's not a just so happen. So it just so happened your pool blows up this morning. It just so happens. But there's a purpose. There's an inside joke there. It just so happens that there's a pandemic. It just so happened. No. No, brothers and sisters, look back over your life and everything going on is under God's perfect timing. Do you get that? God's got a plan and he's going to use the good and the bad and your people for you and the people against you all to carry out his plan. Third and last, and I'm almost done. We may not understand it, but God teaches us in the book of Esther. He uses the most unlikely candidates as instruments in his plan. I'm going to give you another takeaway saying this morning, tweeted out. What matters to God is not your ability or inabilities, but your availability. I stole it, but you can tweet it. What matters is not your ability or your inability, but your availability. Esther was not perfect, but she responded in two ways. And you know, I, I, I really struggled because we did some, some talking about this. A group of us were looking at the book of Esther, and, and we, we really talked about, was there anything spiritual in this book? This is a really controversial book, to be quite frank with you. And I heard a pastor say that Esther responded in a couple of ways, and I want to share with you what he said. He said, how Esther responded is how we should respond. And first, she sought the face of God. Now, where's that at in this book that God's not mentioned? I'll tell you. It's in verse 16, where she asked for a fast. I'm of that opinion now. Fasting meant fasting and praying. I don't know why God doesn't have prayer in here. I don't know why he doesn't have in his, his inspired word that, that we're to, to come to the Lord. I, I, don't know, I don't know any of that is what I'm trying to say. But what I do know that Esther seemed to understand that power comes from God. So I want to ask you this question. God has a plan for you. 
Are you following this plan in your own strength? Or are you doing it by seeking the face of God and living out his plan for you in his power? Second, she surrendered her life. She surrendered her life. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a couple words in verse 16 that I think that we need to grab a hold of. Mordecai says you've got to go to the king. And it was a law. If you went into the presence of the king without being asked, you were going to die. But it was the only way. So Esther says, I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She surrendered everything. Are you living a surrendered life this morning? Are you willing to believe that you're not where you are by accident? You're not in the job you have by accident. You're not living where you live by accident. You're not in the family that you are by accident. Are you willing to surrender the idea that your life is not about you? Are you willing to surrender the thought that your life is not based on happenstance and chance? Are you willing to believe that God has sovereignly ordained your life for such a time as this? Do you believe that? Are you willing to trust today that God's going to use a sinful and perfect person like you to be a part of his plan? Who are you? The intellect you have, the physical features you have, the good that's in your life, the bad things that's happened to you. Who are you? You're nothing more than someone that God's wanting to use. And the question is, are you willing to go all in with God? Are you willing to surrender to God? Are you willing to say, no matter what, I'm going with God even if I perish. Even if he takes my life, I'm following him. Are you willing to surrender to all to follow Christ? I got to be transparent. This past 10 or 12 weeks has taught me a lot about me and about things I don't like about me. It's easy to preach stuff. It's hard to live it. Am I willing to surrender all my possessions to follow Jesus? My treasures? Am I willing to risk my, my health to follow Jesus? This is not some super mature Christian that surrenders all to follow Jesus. It's the basic requirement to follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you follow Jesus like this, open-handed. It's not your house. It's God's house on loan to you. It's not your car. It's God's car on loan to you. It's not your bank account. It's God's money in your bank account. It's not your family. It's the people God gave you to be stewards of, to take care of. Does that make sense? This is not our church. This is God's church. Our life is not ours. It's all to follow Jesus. If it strikes fear in you to say, Lord, you take all of my plans and all my future and all my stuff and even my family, 
then I would encourage you to remember who you're surrendering to. You're surrendering to a good, good father. You're surrendering to a savior who loves you enough to die for you, to ensure that you can be with him forever, that you're on a journey on your way to heaven, to the celestial city. There's a but in the story, though. And the buts for Esther, not for God. If you look at verse 14, it says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and disaster will rise from other Jews in another place, but for you and your father's house will perish. Brothers and sisters, let me give you the but in your life. If you're not willing to go all in for God, he will allow you to opt out. He will allow you to miss the blessings. He's going to continue his plan. It just won't be with you. Could we be in that place now of not acting, keeping silent, ignoring the place where God has you? So this humble attempt to complete the life of Esther, let me give you some takeaways and then we'll pray. Things of this world are not spinning out of control. Can we please stop saying that? Can we just please stop saying that? The world is not out of control. God is in control of everything. Yes, sin is rampant. Yes, people are out of control. Yes, Satan is trying to do all he can to send the whole world to hell. But this world is in complete control. God is in control. God has a sovereign purpose. God's going to accomplish His will. Nothing happens by accident. Satan will not thwart God's plan. We all have an opportunity to join God in His plan. But make no mistake, you can miss it. And I'm afraid there's going to be a bunch of people when Jesus returns or at the end of their life that are just going to have to look the face of our Savior right in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, but I just missed it. I just missed being a part of your plan because I was too consumed with me or my plans or what I thought was right or all those things. In order to do that, you have to be in God's plan. In order to be in God's plan, you have to trust in His Son by faith that He died on the cross for you. And your response is to trust Him and repent and turn away from yourself and turn to Him. So this morning, we have an opportunity to walk out of here. Now, let me, let me give you one more tidbit just hit me. Does that mean it's easy when we step out of this room? No. Does that mean you're not going to have trials? No. Does that mean that, that life doesn't seem like it's going to be unraveling for you? No. It just means when that's coming in your life, you stop for a minute and say, God, you're in control. I give you my entire life. I'm surrendering everything. I'm trusting in your word even when I don't see you. I'm trusting you. And I know that even if you take my life this morning, I can be in heaven with you. And man, that changes everything, doesn't it? So this morning... Please, please listen to me. The Word of God says we can live in grace and security knowing that we're saved in our lives, are on display for His salvation, His mercy, 
his justice, and his glory. Amen. I'm going to pray. And we've changed up this morning. There is no shame in your game if you needed to leave while we congregationally sing. That's the change. We're going to reserve our congregational singing to the end. If you leave, leave singing, and you can exit. Um, But I'm going to pray. Maybe God wants to do something. And uh, this is an opportunity for those that that still feel a little risky uh, about congregational singing, and we understand that. This is where you would exit in the next several weeks. This is where you're going to be exiting. So uh, let me pray. Father, I, I, I just trust you would do something with that message. Um, if nothing else, may we understand that you're sovereign. Your timing's perfect. You choose to invite imperfect people like us in, into your plan. And Lord, we, we have an opportunity to see your majesty displayed in our lives. Help us trust you. And as one prayed, Lord, please, please help my unbelief. Help us to believe. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.